a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... show, we don't often have an opportunity to talk to somebody who is living in tomorrow, because he's actually living in tomorrow, because he's in a different part of the world if you're wondering how that works. Um, my name is Kevin McDonald. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio. And and uh, our um, author friend that we're going to be talking to is Dick Wybrow. He is a Canadian author. His novels are mainly set in the United States where he grew up. He's a former stand-up comedian, which I got to ask him about that because how do you be a former stand-up comedian when uh, you must think funny thoughts all the time? Anyway, that's my opinion. Anyway, and um, but first, I want to uh, introduce you, say hello to Eric, and and find out what the weather's going to do for the rest of the week, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. How are you, my friend, Eric? Hey, Kevin, I'm doing well, and uh, yeah, 50 degrees here in the day before winter. So, and it's sunny. I, oh. I mean, I think we're having a pretty decent uh, late fall. You know what? And tomorrow is my favorite day of the year. You know why that is? Because the days start getting longer again. You must be psychic. You read <laughs> my right. mind. Happy winter solstice to you and all our listeners. Looks like it's going to be a good day for it, too. 52 degrees, partly cloudy. Awesome. And then every day it gets like uh, 30 seconds or a minute longer. So uh, savor that minute because it's important. That's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back to a five o'clock sunset here uh, before you know it. Before you know it, absolutely. And that's and that's really cool. And so it, I'm glad the days are getting longer because then spring's right around the corner and then summer and then fall and then winter stuff anyway but that's what that's that's our our lot in life but thank you eric for taking such good care of us uh here on uh, positive talk with uh kknw and uh with that i'll introduce my co-host for the hour his name is mitch parfit mitch how are you kevin i'm doing great how about yourself very nice thank you did you know that tomorrow is or today's the shortest day of the year you know or i know it's tomorrow? funny I don't know. I can't remember. I knew it was coming. I was just thinking about it yesterday. I was like, what day is the shortest day? So I I mean, the days are short. So <laughs> they, there is very little light. I wake up and it's dark. I go to sleep and it's dark. And, it, and it's dark when I get off work and all that kind of stuff. So it's a life and, filled with darkness over there. <laughs> for being positive talk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a life full of darkness. <laughs> So in, in any event, we've got a great author that we're going to be talking to this hour. He's a very funny guy. And he his stuff, these are his words, not mine. His, I, w- I would say his art form is, uh, is over, um, you know, has been uh, heard on the radio by millions, seen on TV in 213 countries. I didn't know there were that many countries, um, but apparently there are. So two, uh, I think. Huh? There are how many? I think there's 222 or 220. I can't remember. I. But it's pretty close. Well, it's it's pretty amazing. That's 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 a useless piece of trivia that I never would have come up with. Um, (laughs) But in any event, Dick Wybrow is with us. Dick, welcome to the show. How are you, young man? Doing good, man, and welcome to the longest day of the year. 
because uh, I'm, of course, <laughs> I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, so it's summertime here, baby. The sun is shining, and where you go go to bed before, it, while it's still light outside, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a warm time of year. It's beautiful here right now. It's uh, 22 degrees, which sounds really cold because it's Celsius. I it, I, I if you know, and I, I learned something since I've been here, so I got to give you this. So it's a, it's a little trick. So if you want to work out Celsius to Fahrenheit, it's a real handy thing to make you sound smart. It doesn't always work. It's not perfect. Just double the number, right? The Celsius number, and add 30. So if it's 22 here, you double it 44, add 30, it's 74. There you go. So it's about 74, 75 degrees here right now and sunny. So it's nice. But it's a kiwi sun, which will fry you like an egg. So, uh, But it's beautiful. It's beautiful, except it's sunny with a chance of cancer. Uh, it's basically with the, the temperatures today. <laughs> so, so is is My now favorite. you are... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Now, you are Canadian, and yeah. uh, you grew up in the United States. How the heck did you end up down there? So uh, my father is Kiwi, uh, and so he went up to the U.S. when he was 18 years old. And, well, he tried to go to the U.S., and they are like, oh, no, no, we got enough Kiwis. Uh, go to Canada. They'll take anybody. And so he flew up to Canada, and he uh, met my mother up there, and a little while later, I came around. Um, I don't know how that works. Uh, they told me one day they'd tell me about it. Uh, but then when I was about eight, nine years old or so, uh, we ended up going south of the border into the U.S. And, and so I was a chubby, red-haired boy with a Canadian accent. I went to New Jersey. That is a baptism by fire. Wow. Yo, dude, what are you doing with the red hair? Yeah. What do you think? You know, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so from there up in the Midwest. And so um, I spent my formative years uh, in Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> a lot of those formative years were freezing. Uh, and then but then in in uh, over the next couple of years, I did radio. And so I was in all over, man. I was uh, in Florida and it was in Georgia. I was in Missouri. I was in Southern California, all over the place. Um, and then about 11 years ago, um, I, I discovered doing some research, late night research. I was just Googling because I was bored. And I discovered that because of my father's heritage, that I was a Kiwi by descent, which means that I'm an automatic Kiwi and they can't not let me in. And so I went to my wife and I said, hey, I'm a Kiwi. And she goes, and what are we doing here? And I, I tell you, uh, Kevin and Mitch, <laughs> that was October. We were in country by January. That's that's what we did. And that was 11 years ago. Well, you know, we should have told thing. the kids. We should have told the kids, really. Yeah. We left. Well, you know, the interesting thing is times have changed so much. Now, if you're an American, they won't let you into Canada. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, no. They're, they're like... You, you have to have somebody sponsor you and you have to have a job <laughs> and you have to have all these things that, or they won't let you in because I get people that after every president, presidential election, somebody will say, right. I'm leaving the country. I can't stand right. being here. Well, right. Canada ain't going to let you go in there. No, so. no. Well, Canada is nice. Canada is, is uh, I mean, I grew up those early years were in Winnipeg and, and that is, that is, that is a special kind of cold Winnipeg. Manitoba, Canada is a special. In fact, just a few years ago, uh, Google it. Take a look around. There is an article about it. It was colder in Winnipeg than it was on the surface of the moon. That's how cold it was. That, so, so I like to say Winnipeg is a nice place to be from. And right now I'm from it. I'm away from it. <laughs> Lovely people, but too damn cold. 
Now, now, when the when your website says that your stuff has been heard on the radio yeah. by millions, describe yeah. what your stuff is. Just the nonsense that I spew out all the time. So, uh, for about twelve years, I did radio. I did. Uh, I went from stand up comedy. Did that for a couple of years, and then I got into uh, radio. And so I I started out in radio in El Dorado Springs, Missouri, which is two and a half hours like south of Kansas City way out there, like Ozarks kind of territory, you know? And so uh, I was there and it was a little 1200, uh, 1200 watt radio station and it was a converted farmhouse. And I used to get there in the morning and I'd have to turn the radio station on. It's like, and there was a big tower behind me and well, I was getting hair cancer from it. I'm pretty positive about that. And so uh, I ended up doing mornings there and I learned a lot about Southern culture, because it's the first time I'd ever been in the South. And it was really fascinating. The people were sweet. The people were amazing. And so from there, um, I ended up going to Florida and then uh, another stop in Florida in Pensacola, which was another amazing time. Pensacola is a, is a choice city. It's a beautiful city. They took me up in a big um, NAS helicopter, uh, Naval Air Station folks over there, the, the military. And I thought, since I was working for a rock station, I thought, oh, they want to show me all, all the girls in the bathing suits. No, 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 no. They, that's what, they didn't want to show me that. What they wanted to show me, as they flew over the beach, they were like, take a look at the water. And in the water, there were just shadows all around the beach. And I said, what, what, are, what, are, what are those? What, why are they, who put shadows in the water? Because <laughs> I was not accepting what was happening. He goes, no, those are sharks. And there were just dozens, if not hundreds of them. They just weren't interested in humans. They weren't interested because we don't taste very good. But they were just all been down the beach. <laughs> so I never set foot in that water. <laughs> I was there for a year and a half, never once went into the water. Uh, then from there, Southern California. So and then after that, Atlanta, Georgia. So when I see millions collectively, yes, there were millions of people <laughs> who heard uh, all my wandering. Well, you know, in, in my world, because, uh, you know, uh, fat equals flavor, um, because sure. I'm, I'm well marbled, we'll say sharks would like right. me better than they'd like Mitch. Mitch is, you know, fit and he's, he's all, so, so they would spit him out. I would be like a gourmet meal. Uh, there, there was a woman when I was there who got bit by a shark and they said, yeah, she was out there swimming in the bait fish. She's like, hold on, let's go back to the bait fish thing. Maybe you don't <laughs> swim in bait fish. I mean, this is, I don't know sharks. I'm thinking don't swim in their food. <laughs> that seems like really high on the list of places to avoid sharks, avoid their pantry. Uh, but she ended up getting bit on the rumpus and, uh, and then, you know, she was okay after that. <laughs> bit of a tattoo on the bottom. Other than that, she was fine. Did they There's... catch the shark? Did she bring it in or? Uh, no. <laughs> like, like she was at the end of a line and they, and they uh, she, was the, she was obviously the best bait. So, I mean, you know, I, I think what it is, you know, sometimes they say, um, that, uh, that when animals, they get a taste of human flesh, uh, that you no, know, now they're hungry for it. I think when sharks take a bite of us, they go, well, that's the last time I'm having that, <laughs> you know, send that back. That's no good at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's underdone. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so you were in and now tell me about being a stand-up comic because what i like right. to do is i like to talk to people that that are doing things that very few other people have actually ever done and to be willing i don't know mitch have you ever done stand have you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy oh yeah i was just talking to somebody about it actually a week or so back i've been writing writing stand-up stuff for probably two or three years now 
and I'm at that point where I'm going to start venturing out, but I haven't got up and done it yet, but stay tuned. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to a professional stand-up comic to tell you the pitfalls and all that kind of stuff. If you'd, if you'd like to engage with uh, Dick in a conversation about being a stand-up comic, I would well, never I can tell you, I, I can tell you first, Mitch, the longest minute of your entire life will be a minute where you don't get any laughs. There's time dilation. It's it's amazing. It's time travel. It's like, when will this end? Because when you first do stand-up comedy, I did it up in Minneapolis, you do open mic nights and you get three minutes. And and that is, you think, three minutes? I've got at least 10. <laughs> no, you don't. Not you, me. No, I didn't. And get up on stage. The very first time I had to do in stand-up, I think I did five minutes. And it felt it felt like five years. It was like I just I was just sweating. I just I need to get off of here. But there was there was one nugget. There was one moment where people laughed. And so it's like anything in life. It's like I found that one little bit that worked. I got rid of the rest of it and I just grew from that little nugget. So so four minutes and 41 seconds didn't work. <laughs> but that 19 seconds did. And I grew that 19 seconds to a minute, then three minutes and five then 20, then eventually headlining. Uh, and that in some ways is for me, I've sort of taken that in my own life. It's just, I, I find the bits that work and I kind of slump off the stuff that doesn't. And I sort of fan those flames on the stuff that does work. And it seems to be, seems to work out. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> don't, don't keep telling the same jokes if you're not getting any laughs. <laughs> no, but, but you know, it's funny because if you ever watch comedians over the years, like I saw, I saw one comedian, I knew all of his stuff, I, head to tail. And, and I probably saw him 15 different times over the years. And I saw him develop a routine over the years. And it was really fascinating to watch how it got some laughs. It was kind of the weaker stuff. But then at the end of that, by year, like the 12th time I'd maybe seen him, it was just primo. And so he'd been working on it all that time, all that time, just honing it and changing a word here or shifting a word here or an expression here or an eye roll here. It's really fascinating, the stuff that works. It's even it's even fun when you've got a guy. I'm not going to tell you who this is, but I'm going to have you guys guess on who this is, and I think it'll become apparent. But it's kind of like the best of hits, uh, where you hear the same uh, comedy sketch, but he does it a little bit differently. But it's it's all kind of the same. And and there's a one line that I've used in my entire life, which is, I had the right to remain silent, <laughs> but I didn't have the ability. Uh, they, they'd be, was that Bill Engvall or, um, his buddy on the tour? <laughs> Ron White. Yes. Ron White. That's the other guy. Ron White. Like yeah. Bill Engvall. It, it was the, uh, I was in a bar in New York city. Right. That, that whole sketch. Um, yeah. No, Larry, um, Larry, the cable guy, Dan Whitney. Uh, I got a, I got a great opportunity to hang out with him a bit because he used to do radio at uh, rock 100 WDIT in Orlando. And I was at uh, the alternative rock station and, uh, and we should see each other through the glass. And so anyways, I ended up, um, I ended up middling for Larry <laughs> at it at like this Chinese food restaurant <laughs> before he really blew up. And uh, it was pretty great. It was actually amazing. This is back there in the late nineties or so when there was, there was set up everywhere. 
I mean, it was just the hottest thing in the world. They were, they were all, it was all over television. It was in, in every bar and, uh, and he was fantastic. He was, he was, uh, really gracious, but you know, that's the character he had about eight different characters he did or so. And that's the one that really took off. And so that's when the one he's embraced and he's done amazingly well with. And, and somebody's going to say, you mean to tell me that that's not how he really is? That that <laughs> really is a character? He probably is from New York and has a New York accent, except for, where, where was he from originally? Do you know? Florida. He's from Florida. Uh, Destin, is it Destin? He's from Florida, like mid-Florida. Yeah, because he got so big at one time that they had to fly him in to a stadium via a helicopter. Um, yeah. and, uh, and he had like 60,000 people they're they're like get her done that's everybody yeah. was you know that that whole shtick so yeah he's um, a good cat he's a really good cat and he told me uh, it was funny because i was able because he was still calling on my radio shows when he was really hitting it and i remember when i made that turn from stand you know touring comedian to something different where he was like dick i just I'm playing theaters and they spell theater R E something, <laughs> something's changed. And, uh, and it was, and he said he, he had something big on, on the horizon. He could tell me about it. Couldn't say anything about it. If nothing else, he didn't want to put a kibosh on it. And that was cars when he ended up voicing, uh, made it from cars. So yeah, been pretty amazing ride for the guy. In the meantime, you in amongst being a um, DJ and being a stand-up comedian, when did you decide that you were going to be a writer? Well, the writing thing was first, because um, I was a I was a shy kid, <clears throat> and surprisingly, you may not believe it, I'm still very shy. <laughs> I really am. No, but, I don't believe. No, it. I really am. But so, uh, so I like the writing, and really, the stand-up and all that sort of stem from the writing side of it. Like I was, I, I would write these stories. This is back when I was in my teens or so. And back then, this is pre-internet. It was <laughs> almost pre-electricity, it feels like. But so back then, pre-internet. So when you would send a story out, like to some magazine, here, look at my story. You had to give them what was called an SASE, self-addressed stamped envelope. That way that when they send that rejection back to you, you've paid for that rejection, basically. <laughs> and and so, uh, but after a couple of those, because it would take weeks and months and stuff like this. So I had this idea, I, I, somehow it made sense in my head. Maybe it's the narcolepsy, but this made total sense to me that if I write something this afternoon and get up on stage, then I am in a way published. And that actually was the mindset that got me to doing stand-up comedy, that I could write bits and stories because a lot of stuff I did was storytelling. I would write stories, get up on stage, and then I would be every night be published. And uh, and that's how I ended up getting into stand-up comedy, which then eventually uh, I morphed into radio, which was really when you, I mean a stand-up comedy, that's that's a work day. That is it. 45 minute work day. Anybody listening to this at work right now? 45 minute work day. What was I thinking leaving that? I mean, there was no 15 minute break. There were no lunches, but it was, <laughs> but still you can hang. And then I went to a four hour work day. <sighs> what am I thinking? I mean, it was like five times as much now uh, with radio. Uh, and then after that, doing television, I did 10 hours. I totally went the wrong direction. Uh, but I've left all that behind now, and now it's all day uh, I do as a, as a writer. But it all began as writing. Well, I'm pretty sure that after, you know, you got married and stuff, going to doing stand-up and having, you know, people want to buy you drinks and to stay out late at night, it lost its fascination for you a little bit. 
Uh, it, you know, there, there are no stand-up groupies. It's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a myth that they, <laughs> you don't have those or the people that might be stand-up groupies probably need a restraining order. Uh, those sort of folks, but <laughs> no, uh, it, it just got to the point really stand-up, uh, moving into radios because like I mentioned, there, there became this flood of uh, there became this big flood of stand-up comedy on television. And there had been a time when you would go out to the clubs and I mean, Mitch and Kevin, it was just like this. It's like you're in the Roman Coliseum. It was just this roar of this crowd around you. It was amazing. I mean, positive, you know, they weren't calling for your death, uh, but it was amazing. And then when stand-up got onto A&E and, and USA Today, and it was all over. You might remember this in the 90s. It was, it was on every single channel. Then fewer and fewer people started showing up at the clubs. And so I sort of saw the writing on the wall. And I guess that's one of those other things, uh, you know, the life lesson I sort of took from some of that is you kind of trust your gut instincts because my instincts were like, you got to move. And so I ended up switching from stand-up comedy into radio. And, uh, and, there, and I was glad I did because there was definitely a time there where it was harder and harder to get on stage. Um, and there were fewer people going out to clubs. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up doing radio for about a dozen years or so. It must have been really hard when it, when um, everybody started watching on TV because you can't use the same material twice or three times. You have to continually yeah. be inventing new material and then testing it in, in, in small venues so that you can make sure it's funny before you hit the, the big ones. That must be really a hard thing to do all the time. Well, the, Leno was famous for that, right? Leno was famous for going to the clubs, the comedy store, whatever it was. And even later years when he was doing The Tonight Show, he would go to the comedy store. He's, you know, he's an old road hack. And so he would go and test out his stuff on, on audiences. And you do that a couple of times and you can make it better. It's like a test audience. And so that way he knew this stuff would work. I mean, that was one of the big sort of transitions from moving stand-up comedy into radio is with stand-up, I could do sort of the same solid 7, 12 minutes in the beginning. I could do that every night as long as I was moving around. Or radio, you got to come up with new stuff every day. It's like, have I done that joke before? Yes, that was off the list now. Yeah. Mitch, any thoughts? No, yeah, I think, I mean, all of these things, yeah, they're, you have to think about it and be articulate about how you present things. <laughs> and some things you can repeat, and I feel like some you can't. And But knowing when and what avenue that you need to be mindful of that stuff, <laughs> at least for you, since you did so many things, uh, keeping track <laughs> seems like a lot of work. But the, but the advantage I have now is with the writing is I have all that material that I had from stand my stand-up days, all like the best sort of jokes or scenarios I had from radio, and I could farm those into uh, a lot of my writing. And so that's actually been, uh, that's been really good for me. Um, I just have to make sure I don't repeat that because there, there are times and you, you know, you, you just sit back and go, have I used that bit? So I got to like go into each word document <laughs> of my past books and go, have I used that bit before? Um, but yeah, no, it's been great. I've been really enjoying it. Now, from what I can gather here, you've got, uh, hell, the hell Inc has got seven books or eight books. It's got eight books. The ninth one is the final book is coming out next year. Ah, but the there's series. a new book that's come out as well in September. Uh, there is there is Kane, which came out in August, and Kane's the new series. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and the reason why I didn't finish Kane, rather didn't finish Hell Inc., is because Kane, this new series, links to the other, and Kane plays a part 
this main character came plays a main part in the last book. So I started a new series this year. Um, first one was in August, second was in September, as you said, and the third one comes out here next week. Uh, Kane Unhinged. Um, so that's that's been really fun to do. You know, it's 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 just the joy of creating. I just I just love that when you open yourself up to that kind of influence or like I mentioned with an narcolepsy, that kind of creativity, because I really think and it's hard to describe what narcolepsy is to other people. Um, one person said to me, I uh, said, like, I've heard it described as stay up for 30 hours. Now go to work. Uh, now, when you get home from work, now, now make dinner for the family and now hang out with your spouse and chat about your day. Uh, so I don't really know what it's like for other people. I just know how I feel. And so I'm tired all the time. Or I'm sleepy all the time. And I got to make sure, like you can talk with you guys, I'm laser focused down and make sure I'm paying attention because otherwise my mind begins to drift. And where that can feel like a bit of a negative, I actually do see it these days as a bit of a superpower. Because if I do sort of sit in a space and I'm quiet, my mind drifts off a bit in a real, I feel like what might be unique. What, well, maybe not, not totally unique. Do you know when you're lying down at night and you're just about to fall asleep and, and, and you're kind of in that dream sleep state and you get some amazing idea. You think, man, I should write that down. That is really good. Now I'll remember that in the morning. And you wake up the next morning and you don't remember it and you didn't write it down and you have no idea what that was. That state, I'm in that state 80 to 85% of my day. And it helps me create unusual stories, I guess, and unusual tales and characters. And so I see narcolepsy as a superpower. And that's one that's uh, helped me write, um, what, 11, 12 books now. Yeah, and see, my uh, problem is is that uh, I have uh, two places that I sleep. One is the uh, recliner, and then the other one is when I get up and go to bed, And which which really, for me, works out well because I can watch the same movie twice, sometimes three times, and not catch the whole thing all at the same time. It's like part one, two, and three. And my wife was, we were watching, she wanted to finish this Crown series, right? And I, I and it's fine, it's fine if you like the Crown and all, it's fine. But then she, she started falling asleep and then i looked over grabbed the remote and quietly i switched it off to something else and i tell you what the moment is when i was watching that i was no he said you were snoring no i wasn't you were snoring i was not tell me the last thing you saw happen she, the woman the thing with the crown did the thing but no yeah yeah no she she falls she falls asleep on the on the couch all the time i i, I actually narcolepsy is a weird thing because where you're tired all the time depending on sort of what flavor of narcolepsy you have i actually have a delightful combination of narcolepsy and insomnia so i don't sleep very well at all this morning i was up at 4 30 uh, and i woke up three four times overnight so that's that's the lot i've got but like i said i have no complaints because it's given me a, a heck of a career careers four you've had you've had a bunch you've had a, you know one You've had a really, really interesting life. But, but Mitch, <laughs> I just wanted to share with you the fact that, that, see, I'm not the only one that falls asleep when you're watching TV. So you look at what you've got to look forward to. I mean, I'll fall asleep watching TV. It just depends. But, I mean, I think if you're in the recliner for hours on end, it, sleep isn't inevitable. It's going to happen. So. I don't know what you're talking about hours on it. There is something, though, when you, like, fall asleep on the couch and how it's so easy to fall asleep on the couch, and then you go lie mm -hmm. down in bed, and, like, I can't, now I can't fall asleep. Yeah. And I can't, right away. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a new term. There's some new big fancy psychological term for that. Basically, you've sort of used up some of your sleep juice. That's not, I don't think, the scientific yeah. expression for it. Um, no, no, it's... 
you have a set amount of time. I did the same thing. I have about a, about a two to five minute max window. If I don't get back to sleep, my body's like, yep. we're up. And I yep. only took it in that two hour nap. And then it's, you know, 11 o'clock and then I'm yep. trying to go back to sleep. And then there, there I am at three in the morning laying there. One <laughs> thinking about and it gets worse and worse. And it gets worse and worse because you get anxiety from not being able to fall asleep. Yeah. Said, sleep now. <laughs> and you can't command yourself to fall asleep. It's really it's sad that way. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Mitch, why don't you take us to break? Because we're talking with Dick Highbrow, and he's a stand-up comic. He's an author. He's got eight books out. Uh, he's got a couple of books that are coming out this fall. One's out and another one's coming. You should uh, get those. But, Mitch, take us to break real quick. And, uh, and Dick, thank you for being here. You, you're delightful. You're, you're just I delightful. really enjoyed my time with you guys. Thank you so much. And enjoy the longest day of the year <laughs> nah, we're not, nah we're not done with you yet we got another half to go so oh great so great, great great have a cup of coffee and we'll be right or no go ahead mitch when the shortest day meets the longest day but uh, <laughs> <laughs> to all of our beautiful listeners out there you're listening to positive talk radio on kknw 1150 stay tuned we're going to talk with uh dick um Weibrow a little bit more um stay tuned here for a couple more minutes do you need to boost your sales? Join our partnership program. Each quarter, we promote 10 partner businesses. What will you get? The company will produce one 30-second video for your business. Your website links on positivetalkradio.net and kmmedia.pro. One dedicated podcast or radio show per month. One video Instagram reel. One YouTube short. One 60-second clip for social media taken from your interview. And at least one commercial airplay per show. All podcasts and video commercials are within the fabric of the show and will remain in the show forever. Visit kmmedia.pro to book a consultation today. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. For being our appreciated listener, you can use promo code PTR20 at checkout to receive 20% off your order. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. We believe in the power of telling your stories. We want to help yours be seen and heard. At the Pacific Northwest Collaborative Magazine, our purpose is to connect you to your community. Let's begin by celebrating the accomplishments of local artists featured in this brand new digital magazine. Here, you can learn about opportunities to creatively come together and support our local community and neighbors through the gift of art and service. If your business or organization would like to take part in this magazine, message us on Instagram at pnw.collab. You can download our free digital magazine at KM Media Pro today. Thank you to our dedicated fans. We are updating our live on-air schedule to make it super easy for you to hang out with us five days a week, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, and live on Fridays with Kixie 880 AM Seattle Live. You can find our library to binge all the podcast platforms. We can't wait to see you at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, starting September 4th, Labor Day 2023. 
And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. We have a tremendous guest and a lot of fun guy. First of all, I want to make sure, Dick, that I've that I haven't massacred your name the entire show, which I no, believe sir, it, I'll tell you, it's Wybrow. It's like eyebrow with a W. Is he's it's a horrible British name. I can't seem to get rid of it. <laughs> it's, it but it works. And you know, the cool thing is not only are you a stand-up comic, you're an author, you're a DJ, you've done all these cool things, but you also have a blog. And one of the things that I that caught my eye was uh, reading your blog, and it says, creating, camping, and not getting shot. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's real. Uh, <laughs> New Zealand is real hands-off. Uh, for the most part, when you when you come here and we learned that, in fact, uh, we've done a lot of traveling around uh, New Zealand, my wife and I, uh, in, the, in the last couple of years. And like when we ended up going to Dunedin, uh, there's a place called Larna Castle. And there's this old castle that I mean, old in the sense of New Zealand. This is a very it's probably 1980s. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's like 100 years old or so. This isn't a very old country. But what was nuts is so we're driving and and as we're going around this sort of like um, this mountainy kind of range, um, as you're going around, you realize that there's no guardrail there. I mean, if if you're not paying attention, you're over you're over the side. And so their thought is like, well, you shouldn't do that. It's like, but we, they don't have like they don't really have the litigation happy society like we've got in the U U.S. And so they're just like, yeah, if you end up hurting yourself or dying, that really you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and so, so when we ended up going camping here just a, a short time ago, we ended up going and uh, and getting some kayaks and and the woman uh, at this campground and we had the whole place to ourselves just about uh, with us. And so it was like we had some kayaks. And she goes, yeah, you can. You can paddle up here, go down this creek over here. It is hunting season, so you you may want to keep your head down. It's like what? what? I, I, so that might be I might be mistaken for a duck. And she said, "Well, they're drinking." And so, but that was the warning. It, 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 that was the warning. It was like you can go up the, the the creek, you go up this little river here, but duck if you hear a boom. Basically, I think is what she was saying. Uh, so, Isn't it too late? No, they, they're just real loose about how they do things here, and there's, it's a fun attitude to be a part of. To be honest, it's real chill. I, I love it. It's an amazing place to to be. You know, Mitch is um, he likes he likes whiskey a lot. Um, not right. not that he likes it a lot, but he, he he's a connoisseur, and he's, right. he's talking about doing a podcast around that. And so I was just kind of curious, what is the favorite beverage in a pub? Is that what you call it, a pub in uh, yeah, sure. in New Zealand? I mean, it's tough because they'll call it pubs and bars. Um, a favorite beverage? They're pretty straight up. They're just like, um, you know what it is? They're like Americans without the shame of drinking. Do you know you know what I mean? You like like the yes. idea that like, oh I, I'm gonna get out of here and grab a beer and, and I remember when I used to work it's like you feel like you need a beer is that do you feel like you have to have one and it's and so there's that sort of like shame about it like the next day if you're hungover you'd never say I'm hungover you're like oh, I must have caught something last night so yeah what you caught is a twelve pack of beer is what you caught um, here no shame whatsoever you know your boss comes in oh I'm really hungover there's none there's a massive drinking culture here. And I was told that the, the, the drinking culture is how they, it helps them reproduce uh, because the Kiwi white boys here are very shy. And without alcohol, this, there'd be nobody left. It would be an empty country uh, for the most part. It'd be very few people here. 
So the, uh, the, 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 the men are very shy or the, are the women yeah. less so? Yeah. Um, for the most part, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's funny. And in a, in a serious sort of, uh, not too serious, but a serious note, there's something co- here called tall poppy. And I, I don't have ever heard of this before. So the idea is, and it's kind of an, it's, it's really ingrained. It's worth Googling at some point, take a look at it. But, and apparently Japan has something like this. It's called like nail something like hammer nail or some whatever it might be but the point being is if you stick your head up too high you know they'll cut you off so any tall poppies they lop off and so there's the that's going away a little bit i think but so like i met a guy uh, there's a guy a friend of mine named mark and he he was hanging out with me one time and he said you know i just really love i'd only known him for a couple of years at this point he said i love hanging out with you because i can say anything to you i said well yeah of course you can he's like well i can't say that with my friends these are people he's known for decades, 20 years, 25 years. But there's something in sort of some of the what we call Pakia Kiwi culture here. And that's the European descent uh, Kiwi culture that you a lot of times you don't really voice your opinion. You don't really say what you're thinking. And it's something that gets kind of ingrained in them, because if somebody does, then they're like, oh, who does he think he is? And so he that's how he grew up. And so they're 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 just hesitant. They're reluctant to sometimes voice opinions or say some stuff. And it can be really fascinating. You could put a, and this is generalized, I mean, you can put eight like Kiwi white boys into a room and you come back 10 minutes later and they'll just all be on their phones or just staring out the window. You do that with eight Americans by after 10 minutes, they all know their life history. <laughs> but there's probably been a fight. <laughs> At least an arm wrestle, if nothing else. It's Scuffle. just, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying there's just, there's very different, style of communicating we all speak english but it's a very different style of communicating a lot of times and each culture is different um because because down there it's different now if you go to australia they're even different than new 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 zealand right oh yeah in fact um there was just i think it was just last year because you know how you know you notice how the australian accent is a little bit odd it sounds like it's bent all the vowels all bent around the edge they and I'm not making this up. This is true. They have worked out the derivation of that accent because, of course, Australia, they're all criminals. We all know this. And so they came down from the UK on the boats full of criminals. And they came there. So why don't they have British accents? Here's why. It's because and I'm not and Aussies are probably proud of this because of the drinking culture there. They were drunk so much. Eventually, they're like, listen. Gave me over the edge the koala. That became the accent because the kids would hear the accent and pick it up. And what they were hearing was a drunk Aussie accent. And eventually, I'm not making this up. This has been studied by Australians. Of course, keep in mind, the Australians were probably drunk when they did the study. So there is some question about the validity of it. But uh, that accent comes from people that have been drinking. And it is very different culture. I mean, they are, they are uh, out loud and brash and and a lot of fun. They remind me a lot of, of uh, Americans, to be honest. Um, they're just really fun and positive and, and really energetic. Uh, whereas, you know, the Kiwis are more demure. Uh, it's a little bit like Canada is New Zealand in a way, or New Zealand is Canada and like Aussie's US. It's a little bit like that. But the biggest, the most positive between Aussie and New Zealand is the fact that we don't have anything that'll kill us over here. We don't have any snakes. We don't have any poison spiders. We don't have crocodiles. We, we don't have anything. We have nothing. Over there, everything will kill you over there. They've got poison spiders. They've got poisonous. They've got poison sharks. I think they have poison sharks. They've got uh, a poisonous jellyfish. I think they've got caterpillars that are poisonous. 
They do. They do. And they, they've got this particular spider that likes to hang out in your uh, um, in your uh, visor of your car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, when when the sun comes out and you lower your visor, you end up with oh. a spider on your lap. Oh, it's, and these it's things can eat a cat. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're awful. We've been over there a couple of times, and my wife on occasion, oh, we should move here, live here for a while. I say, no, no spiders. I can't, I can't do them. I have a horrible. It's not a fear. It's a phobia. Totally different thing. It's not fear. It's a phobia, and uh, I can't stand them. She kills all the spiders in the house for me. I shall have her do that for me. But no, it's but it's a beautiful place. <laughs> Even their birds are loud. Yeah, when when the Aussie birds come come over here, you can tell which ones are the Aussie birds because it's like, what what is making all that racket? It's got to be an Australian bird. <laughs> They're probably drunk too. They are. I think. Do you know what? It's funny you say that. So here, uh, so there's a bird here in New Zealand. It's called the tui. Look this up. Google it. So there's a lot of googling going on with the show. But so there's a bird called the tui, and it's also called the the Parsons bird, which is like preacher, right? And so it's a bird. It's got this little fluffy thing. I don't know what it's for. Is the bottom of its neck? It's like this little fluffy sort of almost like a like a priest collar. And so there are times of the day, and this was told to me up at a marae just north of here. Um, there there are times of the day uh, where you'll hear this. I'll say you hear this this thumping sound. And what it is, is the tui birds, <laughs> these are kiwi birds now, they go and they get berries in the morning and they, and they put them in their mouths and let them sit in their throats, right? Their stomach acids then ferment the berries and create alcohol. And these birds are drunk by three o'clock in the afternoon, falling out of trees. So that is, that's evolution. These birds, these birds have beat us. They have now learned how to create booze, wine in their bodies. So they're pretty, one day they'll take over from us. <laughs> hey, what's it called again? It's a Tui, T-U-I. Look it up. They're amazing birds. They're, they've got an incredible call too. It's super, it's just super complicated. It's really nuts. But of course they're drunk. So I have probably a lot to do with that. Jeez. All right. <laughs> Mitch, I think you would do well in Australia. I'm not so sure about New Zealand. What do you think? Uh, well, there's we as we've heard a lot of factors to take in. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you've got to learn the language because, like I said, like like a Kiwi will never say "Don't do that." It's whoa, that's way too that's way too direct. So, like you'll say something like, "Oh, I was thinking about you know going and climbing to the top of that tree." And then instead of saying you're an idiot, don't do that. Like, like an American or Canadian might, they'd go, Oh, you could do, you could do. And so that's their version of saying, yeah, don't do that. Yes. That's stupid. And so you've got to learn some of the language. And I so would do terrible do. there then. It's hard. All, it's all I, I st stuff like that all the time. And all, all, if somebody says, yeah, you could do it. I'm like, I know I can do it, but I just needed that <laughs> one. I just needed that one person to tell me just that one little bit of reassurance that I could do it. So if I went over there and somebody was like, you could do, I'd be like, yeah, it sounds like a we. challenge. I'd be like, I'm about to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's before the whiskey. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. I don't need any reassurance. It took a while to, it took a while to get some of that. One day I got to put together a kind of a, a Kiwi to American English uh, dictionary. Uh, if I can ever work it out. Yeah. Now, is it is it true that the fastest way to get an Australian to fight with you is if you said you're just like an American? Uh, I don't think so. I think Amer I, I think Aussies are OK with that. There's um, Kiwis over the last uh, eight, 10 years since we've been here. 
they have a fascinating relation with Americans. It's kind of like they they love American American culture, but some Americans are a little bit frowny face on it. I don't know if this was post Trump or whatever it was, but there was definitely a turn when our boy ended up taking office. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm just telling you exactly when that turn came, because it seemed that right around that time, there was a little bit more aggression towards Americans than there had been before then. But I mean, for the most part, Kiwis are, are loving to everybody. They're really, uh, they're really sweet. Um, but you don't want to, you don't want to call an Australian, a New Zealander, because uh, that, that'll get their goat. They, they're not into that at all. They're quite proud of that. And I think for the most part, Kiwis are like, eh, that's fine. <laughs> it's fine we don't care so is it easy for you to for like an american to go hang out there for like five or six months um i don't know what the i don't know what the visa rules are but to be honest and you think i'm joking about this if you came in unless you got let's say you got a month visa and you stayed three months they'd be like ah that's fine <laughs> i'm not joking they're just like that's eh, fine it's totally fine don't worry about it Whereas an Aussie, like a woman ended up flying into Australia. She was a Kiwi woman, flew into Australia. She had a chicken sandwich and that broke a bunch of biosecurity rules. That cost her $3,000 going into Australia. And they are not bending. They, in fact, there was a Kiwi dude that ended up paying the, uh, the bill for her. But here, when I first flew here, I ended up breaking all. So I was so tired <laughs> when I came over after that flight. I'm going through areas with red stripes on them, <laughs> you know, and flashing lights. I was like, am I not supposed to be here? And this dude just grabbed me by, uh, just gently grabbed me, arm around my shoulder. Hey, I'll take it back over here. Totally chill about it. Had I done that in San Francisco, they would have stepped on my neck and put a rifle to the back of my head. So they're just really chill about stuff. I'm not saying break laws when you get here, but if you want to stay a bit longer, you're probably fine. Oh, that would be good. Because, you see, as we discussed earlier, this is the longest day of the year for you. It's the shortest day of the it year is. for us. It's 50 right. degrees. It's 75 there, and yep. you don't have any bugs, really, and you don't have any snakes or any of those things. And it is because they shot um, on Jackson's Lord shot, of the Lord of the Rings there. It's a beautiful country. Hobbiton. They got Hobbiton in a place called Mata Mata just over here. Um, and from the story that I heard was when they built all those sets, uh, the Peter Jackson was like, hey, listen, I want to make this a bit of a tourist attraction. So when you're sort of making these sets, don't just make them sort of, you know, these front facing things. These need to be something that's going to be able to last a couple of years or decades or so. And so it's beautiful. It's In fact, it's funny because a lot of Kiwis, we became <laughs> we became a bit of a Hobbiton beard in a way, if you know what I mean, because what happened was Kiwis don't want to go to Hobbiton, right? Because they're above that. But they could say, oh, we're just taking our uh, our, our Kiwi cousins, uh, Dick and Tiffany, over to Hobbiton. And so they would take us so that they could go, but they were really just taking us. So we've been like four or five times. Afterwards, like, listen, I uh, I got other things to do. <laughs> I've seen all this before. No, you want to go to the Green, green Dragon? I've been to the Green Dragon. Well, we don't need to do that. But so, yeah. So for the entire family, they use us as a gateway to get into Hobbiton to go check it out. I, I tell you, it'd be a lot of fun to, it'd be a lot of fun to be you. And by the way, we're talking to Dick Highbrow. And if you want to go to his website, dickhighbrow.com. And still highbrow. What did I say? Highbrow? <laughs> uh, we got I thought you were making a joke, but I think you just I, it, it did a little bit. Yeah. I would like to think I was making it. Now I can tell you I was making a joke about that. Whybrow is 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 Dick's last name. And uh, really I have trouble with see English is my second language. 
Um, right. I live in Seattle, and and you know, right. anyway. Um, right. But he's got he's got eight books out. the The latest series of books is Kane, and yes. the the third book is coming out, or the second book is coming out, and then the third book. So the first one came out in August. Um, the second one came out in September, and the third one, Kane uh, Unhinged, comes out here on December twenty sixth. So we're talking about uh, one week away, and so it's a third in the series. And as we speak now, I am working on book number four, uh, and I'm having a blast with it. It's, it's it's a fun series to do, and it's one of those that I just sort of let the characters take me wherever they want to go. Um, there are a couple different types of authors. There's your planners. Um, those planners are like your Isaac Asimovs where they sit down and say, I'm going to do this chapter. That's what we're going to do next. This scene's going to be next. And you have what are called pantsers or uh, discovery writers. And that's what I am. I just sort of go in and go like, I don't know. What am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> and, and I just let the characters take me. And what's really fun about this one. So uh, th this is amazing to me. So uh, we always talk about how like social media is a big negative, right? For the most part, it's, you know, not a huge negative, but there's a lot of, a lot of darkness on social media, but I've had an amazing relationship with the readers of this series and even in the past. And so every now and then I get the amazing opportunity to talk to a reader group and I've spoken to people like they'll get together, they'll all read the book and, and they'll want me to zoom in. And so I zoom in and chat with them and I've chatted with people in the U S and Canada and the UK. And so this was so neat. So uh, so I'm speaking to a group in the UK and this lovely woman from, I, I don't know where she, I think she said New Brighton. I, I always say that she's from New Brighton because I think it sounds neat. <laughs> I don't know why. But so this woman from New Brighton and all that morning, I had been sitting there writing book three and I was struggling. I was like, I don't know where I'm going from here. And I was just, you know, it's a little bit like we talked before about trying to sleep. The more I started to think about it, the, the more difficult it was to actually create and come up with something. So I put that on hold and ended up speaking to this uh, group in the UK with this woman from New Bright. And she says, you know what? It would be really amazing. I can't wait to hear more about Kane when he was growing up on the farm. I want to hear more about Kane in his childhood, how he turned when he became because he was a wolf and now he's a human, that year that he spent with this lovely British Canadian couple. And I went, that's exactly what I'm doing in book three. That's, you've nailed it. I've, it's exact, exactly my idea. <laughs> and so that question from her, that thought helped influence book three. And I ended up putting this entire storyline, I've spoken to her since and thanked her. But that bit of influence, sort of like, I guess I was sort of open to it. Maybe 15 years ago, I might not have been open to somebody's sort of like suggestion. And there wasn't even a suggestion. This was a desire of her. She wanted to find out more about this, this character when he was younger. And so that ended up becoming one of the threads through book three. And that all came from just this interaction, this me connecting to this woman 12,000 miles away, which is pretty amazing. That really is. Now, when you put your book together, do you yeah. do an outline of what each character is and their background and who they are, or does it just kind of flow? Yeah. So, so what I try and do is I have a basic idea of the characters and the way I write is I just sort of let them grow. And I always find a character development usually through the interaction. I don't like info dumps where I say this, you know, this is their past and here's what happened. And here's all the stuff that happened uh, either before this moment. I try and express some of that stuff through the dialogue between the two characters. And so, but I got to take notes along the way, but I know it sounds totally flaky, but the characters make a lot of the choices for me. They decide about, you know, something from their past or something that bothers them or whatever it might be. But I have a lot of faith in the subconscious and the way that kind of cooks together. And I, I remember years ago when I was on radio, um, I had the great honor to interview Tom Petty. 
and Tom Petty said to me, because people would come to him and say like, well, where does your inspiration come from? And he would laugh because how do you know about that? But his way of putting it was, well, these gifts, they just come down to me. I, I don't go get them. They just come down to me. And I thought that was a perfect way to express it, you know, and that's what it is. It's, it's just sort of moments and gifts that come down. And, and I just, you have to be open and minded enough to kind of grab them. And I, I grab those and put those into stories. And I've been very lucky. People seem to like it. Is it almost kind of like a download? You know, I suppose, you know, but I think you also have to be open to it. You know what I mean? That's the thing is um, you have to sort of trust. I hate to say the expression, trust the process, but I have a lot of faith in it. I go into every single book. And, and as you mentioned, I've got eight in one series. I've got three in this. I got two more to go in this particular series at the start. I've just started book four, the start of every book. I go, I can't do this. (laughs) I'll, I'll never do it every single time. But I know that now. I know I'm going to have those feelings of anxiety. I know every time I, I, I start and I open up, you know, the beginning of a chapter at the beginning of a book that I just, you have that imposter syndrome is like, I have no business doing this. I don't know. I know nothing about writing. But then now that I know that I do that, I, I just kind of work through it and move on from there. So I, I don't have any real process other than I just leave myself open and I got to take a lot of notes along the way. I do take a lot of notes uh, as I go. Uh, a friend of mine actually writes some scenes out of order. He just sort of chases after the scene that he feels like writing that day. That sounds bananas to me because I got to write in order. I'll forget where I'm going. But, you you know, there's no right way or wrong way to write. If you want to write something, and I know there's a lot of people listening that think that they want to just start writing something, but they, they don't know how to start. Just do it. Just just start writing. And I, as I tell people, I says get get your clay together, get it all in there. Just keep writing, get your clay together, and then then the editing process is chipping away all the stuff that doesn't look like your book, and then eventually you'll make it work. But just keep writing, get it in there. You'll finish it. You'll finish it. That's really that's really good advice, Mitch. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I it's interesting. I, there's so many different writing styles, so it's always it's always interesting to hear different people how they. You find the one that works for you, and Mitch. You, yeah. Are you trying to write a novel? No, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've, um, I've just recently started exploring doing some screenplay writing, but that's about right. it. I have, I've, I've thought about writing a novel and I'm, I've had some ideas, but not, not realistically. <laughs> Taika Waititi's got some interesting um, thoughts. The way he writes screenplays, he writes them as set pieces. It's a little bit like that dude I was telling you a moment ago. He, he writes a bunch of set pieces, so he'll write like eight to 12 different funny scenes or funny scenarios. And then he finds a way to weave those all together. And if you watch his films, a lot of times you go, I can totally see that. So he doesn't write linear in that sense either. He just writes sort of funny scenarios, loops everything together and finds a bit of a theme because your themes come after you've written it. People always think that, you know, when you came in, what was your idea? What was your theme? I don't know. Once I get done, people tell me what the theme is. <laughs> and then then yeah. I can tell people in interviews. I have no idea otherwise. Exactly. By the way, we've been talking with Dick Wybrow, and uh, <laughs> I want to thank you, Dick, for coming on the show. Go to his website, which is Dick Wybrow, W-Y-B-R-O-W.com. And I want to thank you for being here. We've we've run out of time. I could talk to you all day long. Mitch, how about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that went quick. <laughs> Kevin and Mitch, I had a blast. I really did. And uh, thank you for the the Positive Talk Radio listeners. Um, I really appreciate uh, you taking some time to carve it out for me. You're an awesome dude, and I hope to have you back um, when you get to your like your fiftieth novel. No, you soon. I want to have you back because you're fun. It's, <laughs> we'll it's, do it again. it's a lot of fun. 
we'll and we're, I think we're doing it again anyway. So yeah, we are. Good. That'll be that'll be fun, Mitch. It's time for us to go. I want you to go ahead and take us out, please. Oh, sure thing. All right. Again, to all of our listeners, we have Dick Wybrow with us. Check him out at dickwybrow.com. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW 1150. And remember, be kind to one another because each other is all we've got. Oh, you're getting better. That's good. Thank you. And I think we're done. We're done.